Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. We have had a busy few weeks behind the scenes trying to get more content together. Tim and I had the opportunity to have Mike on the podcast, who manages the Instagram account Christians Who Curse Sometimes. We apologize for some of the audio issues we were experiencing early in the show, but it seemed to get them sorted out during the interview. We had a great time with Mike discussing our stories growing up in Christianity and then meeting reality, how discipleship and accountability are lacking but so sorely needed, and how we can all do better for ourselves and each other. Let's join the interview for this week. Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker, as always, joined here with Rob McMichael. Hello, Rob. All right, Tim. And Jordan is gone. He's not with us. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was however, ominous. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> it's like, have you ever see you watch The Office, right, Rob? It's like when uh, yeah. when Michael Scott uh, hits Meredith, Meredith with his car. It's like the doctor said, you know, make it real ominous. Yeah. Oh, no, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. <laughs> anyway, so we have another special guest today. Now, this is a treat for me. I've always wanted to meet a celebrity of sorts, but we have we have Mike with us. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hi. You know, I feel like I just got invited to the cool kids table for once in my life. This is the coolest feeling. <laughs> well, Mike, um, you know, you run a pretty large Instagram account mm-hmm. called Christians Who Curse Sometimes right up my alley. <laughs> Not up everyone's alley, but, but up yours, <laughs> yes. I guess. Yes, and it's great to have you on. Um, uh, thanks for coming on and joining us for, for today's episode. Yeah, of course. Ah. So that being said, uh, do it. So we we reached out. Oh, there we go. I reached out to you via messenger. I forgot what it was about. <laughs> Could have been about a hundred different things with with yeah. all the stuff we talk about on my page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll tell you what. Why don't we do this? So I I reached I followed your account for a long time. You're pretty much like a meme account. That's that's mostly what you do on like your posts. Is that correct? Yes, on my timeline, it's all, all memes. It's all fun. Right. But I noticed on your stories a whole different tone. Yeah. It, well, I mean, not completely different. We kind of poke fun and, and talk about the church in kind of an edgy way. Just one's a little more serious and one's a little more humorous. Well, I think that's how we connected. Um, you were posting things about like trying to get people to network together with, hey, if someone has a need, share what you can give and share what, what your need is. And one of them was over tattoos. Someone was like, I, I <laughs> give free... Right. I give free tattoos in South Jersey. I'm like, yo, hook me up, bro. That's where I live. And that's how we, that's how we kind of connected. So um, thanks for coming yeah. on. I appreciate that. Why don't you kind of kick us off? Give us the background. Like, how did you start the account? What was the purpose of the account? Give us that big picture overview. 
You know, I, I'm, I'm a heavy social media user. I used to work in, um, in radio and television. So it was a way for me to kind of feel the pulse of what's going on. And I started following a lot of the other Christian meme pages, Christian comedy pages. And the one thing that I felt was missing was this element of realness. Like I was seeing these, these memes and these things that were funny, but they didn't have the, the reality of what it's like to be a Christian behind it. Like it would be like, I like to use this example. It's like an Olympic runner and it says running towards God. Like, and it's like, that's not always what it's like. It's not that easy. We're not all, you know, faith Olympic runners. <laughs> like I didn't see one that was talking about things like sex. You know, that that's something that's literally all over the Bible, but I don't see any pages post about it. And uh, so I literally out of complete and utter boredom, uh, created the page with almost nothing on it, made like five or six memes that I now look back at and absolutely cringe at just to get something up there. I think four people followed me in the first like week or two. And then it was just slow, steady growth from there. And I guess I never, ever, ever imagined people would want to follow the page, uh, let alone share the content on it all because of the name. I thought that's going to hold everybody back because frankly, it would probably hold me back because of my I don't know if I want to say public image, like for who I really am, but I feel like people would judge based on the name. So I never imagined it growing anywhere past a hundred. Well, and now you have like, I think 40,000 or more and growing um, and a ton of engagement. So one question I, so I've always wondered behind the scenes of some of these memes account, do you guys like pay for memes? Do you make these memes up? I mean, how does this work? Cause some of them are so clever. I'm like, I would <laughs> never, I would have never thought about that. But am I just dumb and they're really smart or are we paying for these memes somewhere? No, I, I'll tell you, it, I think it depends who, like the, the type of meme people are making. Like mine, I, I try to be like Barstool. Like they literally just find other people's stuff and present it. Like that's all I'm doing. I'm not taking credit for any of the funny stuff. I'm literally finding it somewhere else, repurposing it with kind of a, a Christian image and then posting it. So I, I love to give credit to other people. Like I go through TikTok, I go through YouTube, I go through things like that and just put a small Christian spin on it. Other people just do all images where they find pop culture stuff, put a Christian spin on it. I take no credit for this stuff because it's all other people being funny. But I think to, to run a, a successful meme account, you just need to have a good eye for what's funny and good judgment and consistent judgment. Because the problem is most people think they can start a page. They run it for a couple of weeks, realize like, oh, shoot, I'm tired of this already. And they give up on it. So that, I mean, that, that's mostly what I've heard from people, but it's just about having that eye for what you think people will find funny and then seeing it and also being able to self-reflect and be like, Hey, I posted something that actually wasn't that funny. Maybe I need to pivot away from that if I want to keep being successful. So how often are you on this page doing that? I mean, you know, your day to day, are you on this page a lot looking, looking at the internet for memes? I mean, I mean, do you get a lot of DMS? How does that work? I mean, people submit stuff a lot. I don't use a lot of submissions because frankly, a lot of the stuff that gets submitted to me sucks or it's <laughs> it's good, but I can't just repurpose it because there's like a big logo over it or something like that. And I like all of my stuff to look original. I don't like to, I also don't use watermarks. I, I mean, a lot of people have given me a hard time about that because I've had issues with people stealing my stuff, but I really don't care because that's literally what I do. Like I can't complain about other people stealing my stuff when that's what I do. Um, but yeah. Interesting. All right. So I, I want to move now. You meant, you said something that I, I will probably hop us into our conversation today of how um, the name of your account 
is different from like, you, you mentioned the kind of like public life almost. So it sounds like, I mean, did, did you grow up a Christian your whole life? Have you been in church culture your whole life? Give me that background. I always thought I had the most boring testimony ever. Like the, it, it's so funny when I talk about it because like, I, I guess I lived the life a lot of Christians wish they lived and I don't see it as, as much of a blessing as other people do. I literally, both my parents were strong Christians Every single aunt and uncle I had was strong Christians. We were committed to a church. We didn't move around at all. Like we grew up in the same house. I went to a Christian college. I had the same youth group. Like everything about my life was absolutely boring. But the problems that come from that, that I realized are, I knew every right answer to get the Sunday school teacher off my back. I knew every right answer to get the youth leader off my back. And it made me the worst stubborn Christian that I thought I knew all the answers probably from fifth grade. Like I was sitting around watching people have these big moments at Christian camp where they come to Christ. And I'm like, they asked me when I had that. I'm like, eh, I've always had it. Like it was, right. just, it, it, it just felt like I never was challenged. And I think back at the things that I said and did and absolutely cringe because I, I can honestly say, and it's so sad that I can say this. I don't think I was truly deeply challenged on my faith until after college, which is just nuts. And I went to public school. I was just too stubborn to let anybody challenge me. Like it was like, nope, the Bible, the Bible says yes. this. Nope. The Bible says that same with youth leaders. Even when they'd ask me hard questions, I'd say the easy answer and move on. And it created this awful person that I didn't even realize I was awful because I thought I was great. And now I hear about people who are like, oh, my parents weren't Christian. So I had to study the Bible and know what I was talking about. And I'm like, that would have been awesome. But, but I also see that it, like, it, it's a blessing on both sides, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And the time totally. that I was first challenged was I got a job in, uh, in television like days after I graduated college. It was what I always thought I wanted to do. Unfortunately, it wasn't. I learned days in that I hated it. But <laughs> I got to my first or second day of work and this guy that I worked with found out I was a Christian. He's probably 30, 40 years old. And he came to me very aggressively and said, I heard you're a Christian. That means you hate gay people. And that happened to me. I'm yeah, sorry. And, that happened to me. And the, the, the funny thing about it is I, I realized like in retrospect, uh, this man who was 30 or 40 years old throughout his entire life, his only interaction with Christians has been hateful. And I realized in that moment, the way I answered that question either solidified that for him or changed his mind and maybe opened it a little bit. But I also have to go back, like, well, what do I believe? And I realized that that must be, I realized if I answered it and he asked me why, I would have to point out why. And I didn't know why. So like, I, I could have just spit a Bible verse back at him, but then I was like, but he doesn't believe in the Bible. So why would he believe that? So I had this weird existential crisis where I was like, why don't I know that? And I started looking and having conversations with people and it showed me like, man, I've been really on the wrong track, even though I thought I was on the right track my whole life. And I realized I had so many issues that could have been fixed if I just wasn't so stubborn or had somebody challenge me with a hard question at some point in my life. So that's why I think, I mean, we haven't really gotten to what I do in my stories yet, but that's why I'm so passionate about bringing up these hard topics that nobody talks about. Okay. It's kind of, 
eerie how similar my story is to yours very i mean very very similar in a lot of ways it's kind of same thing i think i'm not sure rob if your story is the exact same but grew up in church you know family strong christians never was really challenged do all the right answers i never rebelled i never had this big moment of leaving the faith it was not my thing um and like you said it wasn't until i was 18 or 19 where i started to really get challenged um and i had a i had a moment to the T of what you just said happened to you happened to me. Someone introduced me to a guy who was older than me and said I was a Christian. And the first thing out of his mouth was, oh, so you must hate gay people. That was the first thing out of his mouth. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I felt like I felt like the person who was in the grocery store cleaning up like spilt milk, you know, clean up on aisle five. OK, you know, kind of like that person of I'm so sorry that Christians told you this. I, I, I apologize on behalf of them. And that kind of set me on this you know trajectory of re-examining my faith and et cetera very similar to what you're saying and i think the more people i talk to and the more people that i know in the who grew up similar to how we grew up have a very similar story of okay i had this moment of crisis just saying what do i believe why don't i have better answers than just because the bible says uh, that's not good enough to a culture. That's not good enough to the world. And frankly, it's not good enough to me anymore either. I need better reasons for why I believe this. And I think at that point in the in the fork in the road, some people say this faith is garbage. I'm out. And some say there's better answers. I have to go deeper. And so I feel like that's the kind of path you're on. That's the path I've been on, the path that Rob is on. And that's why we podcast. So it is cool to hear that we have very similar stories. So, you know, yeah, go ahead. I, I have to tell you something so fascinating about that. Sorry, I'm just waiting for my audio to catch up. Yeah. Um, so it, it's uh, so fascinating. You talk about uh, how there's two kind of page and he's a hardcore atheist. And it's so funny because the stuff that he shares, I totally get and understand. And the stuff that I share, he totally gets and understands. And it's so crazy that two people with totally opposite that point of being challenged, we just went two different directions. And it's crazy how similar we are in in criticizing the church. And that's why I picked the name that I picked for the page, because as we talk about, like, we talked about clean up on aisle five and, and how and how we feel that way. Isn't it crazy how quickly we do that to other Christians? Like when I hear somebody curse, my God. That instinct is that they're not a Christian. Yes. Isn't that nuts? Because I curse too. So, and I wouldn't want someone to think that about me, but it, it's so crazy how like we we judge other people for that. And the, the church, you know, it's that famous quote, the church is supposed to be a hospital for the sick, not a museum for the perfect. And the problem is, is we are a museum for the perfect right now amongst each other, which is even more awful. Like we should, the church to a society should look like here's not what it is right now. And if I can have the tiniest place in changing a couple minds in a couple different churches, I'm glad to do that. Yes. Uh, your audio is kind of, it's cutting out more and more. I'm not sure um, if it's on my end or your end, just a heads up because your, uh, your video is pretty laggy and so is your audio. But um, okay. what I, I got, we got most of that came through fine. Um, and you're completely on the money. I, <clears throat> especially with the cursing thing, I've, I've heard people who are Christians curse and I judge right away. But I'm like, wait, I curse. And I would want no one to think that about me. And it is weird how like, how there are some 
uh, some deep-seated things that are still ingrained in me that kind of come out of the woodwork under certain circumstances. That I'm like, wait, this is not, no, this is not correct. I have to readjust this. I think the hardest thing for people like you and myself and Rob is that I feel like I'm, I, I don't have any, I feel like I'm almost homeless because I don't fully identify with the, the church sucks. It's, it's all garbage. We're out of here. I'm an atheist now crowd. And I definitely don't identify with the church is great and there are no problems and vote Trump and evangelicalism <laughs> crowd. And I'm like in the middle trying to be like, guys, like we have to be, it's okay to be critical of the church because we love it. Um, and also, yeah, I just can't get on board with like forsaking the faith because there, there's too much goodness here. And I yep. still believe it. I mean, I went through a season where I tried to be an atheist. I couldn't do it. <laughs> like mentally, I couldn't wrap my, my mind around there's nothing else happening outside of here. So I, I had to come back to what to what I knew and to what I believed. The, the crazy thing is this guy that I talked to on my page who's an atheist, you know, when we hit that point in our lives where we were challenged, he went one way, I, I went the other. And it's, it's crazy how much we have in common. And the thing that always kept me coming back and feeling comfortable with my faith was Jesus. And I always like to ask yeah. people, it sounds so like preachy and cliche to say that, yeah. but the question that... I always ask people who are struggling is, is there literally any one thing that Jesus taught that you disagree with? And that's the one thing is like, I hear the stories and it's so funny. Like, like my father-in-law gets so frustrated when he reads the prodigal son, because he's like, Oh, that kid was so bad. He deserved to be. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not the, the point. Like, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. But I kept be being brought back to that. And I was like, he did all these amazing things. And that kind of legitimized everything else for me. And what really kept me grounded, because as much as people can argue and nitpick about like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and like all those crazy oppressive things, the whole purpose of it is Jesus. And when you start from there and grow out, then we can have those debates in a healthy way. Yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons we love the Bible Project so much. And we listen to like all of their podcasts. And yeah, <laughs> it, it took us, you know, 15 minutes this time. But I, I, by the way, I sent that to Mike already. I sent him a podcast yeah, episode. I'm like, did. dude, <laughs> listen to these guys. They will blow your mind. And but it's because at the at the start, like their whole message is the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. Yes. And that Jesus is worth following. And to just show the 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 culture shift, we're we're so centric on church and you know our church and ease almost. We get into this language and these are the things you're supposed to believe, but it's like are we following some kind of church doctrine or are we following Jesus? Because we'd all rather follow Jesus. Yeah. Let me tell you, I'm embarrassed as a Christian, how long it took me to realize like that those, like the verses in the old Testament, like that Jesus came and said like, that's not how things go anymore. Like it, it's, it's honestly embarrassing how old I was when I realized like, Hey, those are kind of different. Like I, I just thought it was Christians being picky and choosy. That's honestly what I thought it was and that it was okay to do that. And <laughs> like for a long time, I thought that, and that's awful. And there are a lot of other Christians out there who have a hard time because in my inbox, they say, Hey, it says we can't get tattoos. Why does my pastor have a tattoo? And they're stuck on that, on that like literal verse without taking time to read the whole book and see what it means as Christians. That's nuts. How are we supposed to represent the faith when we don't understand our own scripture? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the million dollar question. I mean, how many, I was talking to a friend today um, about how the term biblical is really whatever anyone wants it to mean. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I listened to an hour long sermon. I really, it was a political 
Sean, uh, Sean Hannity Fox News sermon <laughs> about favorite. why you should vote for Trump that someone sent me. I, I listened to the whole thing, and the person just emphasized this is biblical. Which you know, which party has a biblical worldview? And I, it hit me. I'm like, wait, biblical is really code for the lens I see the Bible through, which yep. in this case is an American conservative lens, and therefore that's biblical. But that doesn't mean that it's biblical. It means that 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 your lens you're reading this this book through. So what is the Bible? How do we read it? How do we understand it? And for for me personally, that's been one of the biggest uh, deconstructing and then reconstructing moments of my life is learning that the Bible is not a puzzle. It's mm-hmm. not a it's not dogma. It's not a it's not even a system. It's a story first and foremost uh, that yep. spans genre. It spans years. It spans cultures. So for me to read. Leviticus, the same way I'm reading Matthew, is not fair to the Bible because the Bible isn't claiming that 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 those are written by the same people in the same way with the same purpose. But it is, I think, um, it's challenging because we are in such a different culture and world than what the Bible was written in that it can be really hard. Like you, you read things in the Bible, and you're like, this is so weird. It's so foreign to me. And unless we do the due diligence as Christians to listen to people who are just brilliant at this, who have, who have devoted their whole life to communicating what the purpose of the scriptures are and how you read them, you're going to get in these circles of, well, the Bible says you shouldn't have tattoos. Well, the Bible says this verse, that verse. It's almost like versism. You just pick whatever verse you like, and you apply it all the same way. And the Bible is not claiming for us to ever do that, but we do anyway, and then we call it biblical, and that's the problem. You know, it's interesting. I, I do some speaking sometimes for youth groups and young adults and churches. And the one activity I always do that I love is I put the numbers one through 10 across the floor and I say something that's very extreme. And I tell people to place themselves on the scale with how far they agree with me or disagree with me. Like 10 is you 100% agree with what I'm saying, no arguments. 10 is I agree the exact opposite and everywhere in between. And it's so funny when you do that uh, activity and people actually have to place themselves somewhere on it on an issue that they're like well I don't want to I don't want to get on the scale I I don't I don't want to place myself somewhere that feels wrong and I always tell them like well when you go to college when you go out in the workplace someone's going to ask you this question and if you can't talk about that then that's your fault and you're representing Christianity to them and you might be the only person they ever experience who's a Christian so you have to know all these things like I do everything from you know I believe Uh, abortion is 100% wrong all the time, no matter what, to I believe uh, a Christian shouldn't be overweight. That's a hard one that people have a hard time putting themselves on the on the scale for. Uh, And then you know, you, you, you also talk about I believe women should dress modestly. What does that mean? And you ask them, like, I believe um, being gay is wrong. And you say those things. And when people actually have to rank themselves, it also opens the door for conversations because when you see where your friends stand and you see where people you thought you agree with stand, you now have a gateway to ask them why they believe what they believe because people who are in churches with young adult and youth groups, the thing that I regret is I didn't take advantage of that as much as I should have. I was in a room of fellow Christians with all sorts of different beliefs that I could have learned from, but I was too stubborn to ask questions to learn because I thought I knew it. And now that I'm an adult and don't have that, I wish I could sit in a room with a group of men and women and just say like, hey, let's talk about this controversial thing. What do you guys think? What does your life experience lead you to believe based on the Bible? How much um, How much for you... And forgive the terminology, but how much do you blame though? Like, okay, I was stubborn versus the system, the way it was set up 
didn't really allow for these deep questions to really, you know, be had. Like, for example, I, I tend to be, I would say a little resentful that I grew up in this in, in a way that was very like, here are the answers, no questions asked, just here's the dogma. But there was nothing beneath that, right? So a great example I use a lot is you grow up in church your whole life, you learn that that you shouldn't have sex until you're married, you get to college, and someone says, Oh, why do you believe that? And you say, Because the Bible says so. And they go, Well, well, why? Why is that wrong though? And you go, I don't know. All I know is that it's in the Bible mm-hmm. and it's wrong. There's nothing below that. So I, I don't want to put everything on. Or I don't want to put all blame onto the church because I, I want to be ba- somewhat balanced here. But I just find that the current church setup isn't set up to really allow for those real questions to come out and a person who's trained well enough to be able to answer them in a better way than just here's right, here's wrong. This is biblical. This is not biblical. See, but my question for you is why? Why can't we do that? Is it because we're scared that there are kids sitting in the pews? Is it because like, like, why can't a pastor do a question and answer session instead of a sermon? Why can't we have a discussion? Like the thing is, you're you're saying we can't when we can. It's just a matter of of how do we do it? Like the thing is, I'll tell you, I'm gonna get real for a second. Since you brought up, you know, sex for marriage and and that sort of thing. Um, I talk about it openly now, but I had a really, really deep pornography addiction for 12 years. And all throughout that time, I didn't tell a soul. Nobody knew. And let me tell you, if there's anything teenage boys and young adult boys are good at, it's hiding a pornography addiction. I did some deep level hacker stuff so that my parents wouldn't see it. And I know you guys probably did too. And <laughs> not to throw you under the bus. No, no, I understand. <laughs> We're all speaking the same language. Here. Yeah, yes. yes, exactly. Yeah, but, but the funny thing is we talk about it in youth group. Like the, the thing is those conversations are happening. But there's a difference in how it happens because my youth leaders would say, hey, if you're dealing with this, come to me. I heard it. I, like I knew I could go to them, but I was still freaked out because I had a deep shame with it. And even though I knew I could go to them, I still held back. And the reason I held back was because I never had any healthy conversations about what that means. I never had a healthy conversation about sex. I grew up with two parents who just didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like my, my birds and the bees talk was she left a Christian book called Almost 12 on my bed and said, ask your dad any questions you have. And I kind of skimmed it. I knew about half of it. And that was about it. But it like we have to talk about what that means because it was all about how wrong it is. And, and when you add pornography on top of that, it's like double wrong. And Definitely. just because my opinion's wrong, well, now add this on top of it. And how is anybody going to want to help me with this? And how can anybody give me advice? Like I have to take this huge stain in order to admit th- to somebody that I need help. And that's just how it felt. And if there were conversations where it was about sex in a pleasurable way, or if, if there was a conversation where somebody just casually admitted a pornography addiction or talking about pornography instead of standing on a pulpit being over me, it would have made a huge difference for me. I never heard it that way, like conversationally. And, yes. you know, I, I was hanging out with a friend of mine the other day and he he's newly married and we were talking about sex. And I said, man, like I'm a married man. And I said, uh, th- there were so many things that I didn't expect to affect my sex life like porn. And it's amazing how all these little things did. And he breathed this big sigh of relief and goes, oh my gosh, me too. And it's crazy that it doesn't have to feel official. Like we can talk as brothers in Christ about this sort of thing and support each other. And the second we start talking about it, that's the second it loses its power and we can overcome it together. And we can talk about how to get better together. And he said, well, what did you, what did you do to, to, to get better? And 
not many people have have asked that, um, you know, in kind of a conversational way over beers at a restaurant. We kind of look over our shoulder and see who's there. And yes, you do have to do that. It has to be healthy, but it has to be more conversational. Conversational. Otherwise, there's other kids like me out there who are scared, even though they know it would be okay to talk about it. And I, I think one of the big concerns and issues, especially with this issue or you know any other issue that we could come up in the church whether it's um you know struggling with same-sex attraction or you're struggling with whatever you know fill in the blank is everyone feels like i'm alone in this i'm the only one dealing with this i have so much shame how can i come out everyone's gonna hate me because the dogma has then been like no these things are the number one number two number three sins so if you ever commit these you are you are the lower than the low and there's there's no like you said there's no conversation where that can just come up naturally i remember having a a conversation with one of my really good friends and we were just talking about some other things and we started to go down this trail where he started to really open up to me about things that I had no idea. And by the end of it, he was just like, Rob, you don't understand how good that felt because mm-hmm. I didn't think I could tell anyone what I had been struggling with. And I'm like, man, we've totally missed the point then. <laughs> this is what Christianity is all about, to, to get into these trenches with each other and to lift each other up. And mm-hmm. I totally identify with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I think that we can um, agree that there are certain sins that are ranked way higher than other ones that we really shouldn't talk about because they bring such a high level of shame. Mm-hmm. For example, it's a joke to talk about gossiping. Like, oh yeah, I should probably quit my, <laughs> oh, ha, 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 yo, yeah, quit your gossiping. That's I not mean, like- we're laughing about it, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? That's not like a big sin in our culture, um, but the sin of pornography or of whatever, sex before marriage, something like that, that's a big one, you know? And so if you admit that, like, you know, you, you just imagine what people are thinking. Like, oh, well, that's crazy. I, wow, I didn't see that coming. But, you know, the sin of gluttony. Oh, it's a joke. You know, yep. I've heard pastors joke about how they can't stop eating because their wife cooks so good. and They're like 100 pounds overweight. <laughs> so it is interesting to see, like, and this goes back to the idea of biblical. We like to think that we're all biblical, but we have to also realize that our culture does influence what we emphasize in, in our Christian walk. And especially when it comes to things about sexuality and human sexuality, um, I, I'm with you, you know, Mike, where it's like the best moment, the moments I felt the most free and the most like, wow, like you two have been not in a Sunday morning gathering, not when someone's talking at me, but with some of my closest friends late at night, you know, hanging out, just talking about life. And this comes out and you're like, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. And they're like, no, like me too. It's like, okay, well, what, what now what do we do? Because now we're aligned on this, right? So I think to answer your question or to at least start the conversation about this, uh, you mentioned like, well, like why, why is it this way? I, I really believe in, I think this is again, a little altruistic, but how we view what church is and how we view what we do has got to start shifting in some way because evangelical Protestants tend to focus the, the service around the sermon, right? Everything is focused around the, the sermon and that's, Listen, preaching the word, giving a three-point sermon, not a bad thing. But other <laughs> other church traditions, 
don't center their service around that. You know, the Anglicans or even the Catholics, it's centered around the Eucharist, around communion. And ironically, we're commanded to participate in communion whenever we gather, but we're not commanded to preach a sermon every time we gather. Mm -hmm. So it kind of just shows some of like what we think, again, is biblical. We It's really just our culture. Not a bad thing, but we have to admit that. I am very much a believer, like you said, of that Sunday morning slot that we usually give to a pastor to give us three cute points that we usually forget in a day can be used for that, but it can be used, like you said, for panels, for discussions. On Wednesday night, my church did a panel on race. They had someone come in who's like a, a local, and they talked, it was my white pastor and a black American like um, pastor, and they just had a conversation on race. And man, like everyone's crying. You can feel the room is so thick. People are understanding for the first time what it means for someone who's black in America to say, this is what racism looks like. This is how I grew up. I, all I can think is this used to happen on Sunday morning. Like, why is it a Wednesday night thing with half the people? Get rid of the sermon for one week and have this conversation. So I'm very much a believer of a, a small, easy change without burning the whole church down. Yep. Which is what which is what I want to do. <laughs> but a small easy change In a purely is wholesome yes, of course. Holy. <laughs> I mean, is it fire biblical? It's somewhere in the Bible. I can make a biblical case for it. <laughs> Arson is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a great example of going from a consumeristic, I go, I consume, to now um, I'm engaging, now I'm giving back. So I, I think that idea needs to start taking hold of our churches for sure. Yeah. And that's like, it would be totally different if there was something biblical that was, you know, ha leading us to do that kind of way. But I just haven't been able to find it. I think it's just something people are comfortable with because people love to know what to expect. And I like going in on Sunday morning, get my 30 minutes of worship, my 35 minute, you know, talk. The, the collection plate goes around, we, we sing a prayer and go home. And we, we, we chat for too long after and then go home. And I don't think there's anything wrong with changing that. Yeah, I totally agree with yeah, you on that. If, if anything, that that model sets us up for failure because then instead of everyone partaking and, and being the church, well, I'm going to church. But then when I leave, I'm not the church anymore. Um, I left that building behind and, and now I'm something else and I get to do my life here. Where if you look at the early apostles and disciples and early Christians, they were the church because they were the only family they had when they left there, they were probably going to work with other of the people that they were in association with on Sunday morning. And so th their whole group was so tightly knit that they were involved in every other aspect of each other's lives. Mm -hmm. And that, that created that community where these discussions were going to come up because they had to, because they were mm -hmm. in life together. And that's, that's something that we're, really missing is we're not living life with each other anymore mm -hmm. we're just doing sunday morning with each other yeah, yeah and, and that's why i made a point to do like you mentioned the needing and giving i can't remember if you mentioned that but i i wanted to kind of shift people's perspective in an unexpected way so a couple of weeks ago i posted i was like what do you need like i'll post a couple needs and if anyone can fulfill that need i'll put them in touch with you and it was so many people saying they needed something financially they needed a job they needed encouragement they needed prayer like you know all, all sorts of things and I posted them, you know, all those people kind of got hooked up with other people. But then when you turn that up on its head and you say, well, now that we did needing, what are you willing to give? Because this is a community. You have to, there has to be both. And the thing with giving is most people assume I have nothing to give because they're like, well, I don't have money. I can't give that. When prayer is just as important. 
you know, someone, a lot of people came forward and said, hey, I work in this really unique job field. It, does anyone want to talk with me? Like, I'd love to help them. And I got, it's, I got probably 500 messages for needs. And then I get like one or 200 for, for giving. And it, it's so funny that people, people's gut is to ask for help and people's gut is not to offer something to other people. And I had some amazing people say, hey, I have nothing to give, but I'm a prayer warrior tell me like, like they love spending their nights going through a list of prayers and, and doing that sort of thing. I'm not gifted in that. I, I, I have, I'm super awful with keeping up with prayers and that sort of thing, but other people are gifted in that. And mm-hmm. I posted kind of a, a, like twisting the arm of the church. Why isn't your church doing something like this? Because, you know, there are people sitting in the pews with me who probably would love to be like, Hey, I'm a plumber why don't I come and just just t- take a look at, at what you have? Like on me, we're in the same community. And I don't understand what, why we don't do more things like that. Like I know that there's, like we've all been in that position where we see that person in church that we would love to talk to either because we love their faith, we love their job, we just want to hear more about them, but we're too scared to go up to them because we're like, are they really going to want to talk to me when nine times out of 10, they do. If someone came up to you and said, hey, can I ask you about your job? Can I ask you about your life? Why on earth would we say no? Like I, I, it's, it's so funny, the insecurities we get. So to call that out in, in a really unique way using Instagram was fun. And, and to connect these people was really, really cool too. Cause you know, we've been able to get people jobs. We've even made some couples, which is fun, but uh, I, I'm trying to keep that going in a way that is, is unique and different. Well, the reality is that um, if the church won't fulfill it, we'll find other ways to get it done. That's how yeah. I kind of see it. And I, I've, I've come a long way in my journey. I used to be very <laughs> overly critical, I think, of church life. And I still serve at a church. I'm committed to a church. I, I, you know, that that is my life because I love it so much. I'm learning how to change how I say something to get my point across. But mm-hmm. the reality is that if people who are in leadership aren't willing to hand leadership over yet or aren't willing to rethink how we can express the church life in our day, in our way, kind of, so to speak, as Scott McKnight would say it, um, we're going to find other ways to do that. So if, if, if the lead pastor of church a, who maybe I'm just, I'm going to really uh, generalize here is in his late sixties. We've always done it this way. We can't change things. And someone like me or you uh, come up and say, well, we have this idea of what if like we had a, a, a time on Sunday morning where we can highlight certain people who are willing to give their gifts for mm-hmm. someone else and connect. Well, no, we don't have time on Sunday morning. Okay. I'll do it on Instagram then, you know, like yeah. either way, like the bottom line is no matter what, we're going to find ways to do this because I think that for all the good that my foundation of the church has given me, and it's given me a lot of good for sure. It's given me a really you know steady moral compass. It's given me a good grounding. Um, I can't live off of my parents version of the faith yep. for me being an adult now having a son, I, I have to, I have to take it and, and, and interpret it for, for, for my needs and, and what I'm seeing as, as like our, our deficits in our church, in our church culture and our American culture. So this hyper individualistic culture we have, I think this Bible speaks so well to this idea of community of giving and taking. And that's a great way to be salt to a world that has no context for that, that is so self-centered on what can I get and the church can come along and say, listen, we're actually doing the opposite. People are giving away yeah. their talents, you know, and not just their money sometimes, their, their, their resources, and that's how we function. So it's a very uh, beautiful picture of what the church can be for sure. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you, you said something really interesting when you talked about um, like kids taking on their parents' faith and not being challenged. I was a youth leader for over five years. I was pretty heavy in youth ministry for a while. And it, the thing that was so fascinating to me was seeing these teenage kids who have the strongest faith. They're leaders in the youth group. They're the ones welcoming kids at the door, having the great discussions. Then the second they go off to college, it all goes away. Yep. And I was so floored by that because like when I think back on who those kids are, there would be no doubt in my mind. I don't care where you go to college, they're going to be the strong leader, that sort of thing, but it goes away. And I realized these people uh, may have thought they had strong faith. They're probably very similar to me and that they were just a parrot of their parents. They were literally repeating what they heard and didn't believe it. And the second they're challenged on that need to say why, well, they can't call up mom and dad and ask them why you need to have your own faith before you go off into the world. And I think parents need to work harder at not letting their kids be a mirror but like pushing their kids into the world in a healthy way. Well, I also think um, as to add on to that, it's borderline moralism, what we teach kids, right? We're so focused on the behaviors. Okay, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't drink. Don't curse. Don't smoke. All the don'ts yep. that, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, our, our faith is built on that in our church culture of just don't do these things and you'll be okay. And then when they hit, the real world. And like you said, they they don't have better answers than just don't. It doesn't add up for them because we're only giving them like, uh, it's such a shallow idea of what, of of what the faith and what the history of the Jesus movement has been, which has been radical in so many ways, different than what our evangelical culture has called radical. I think we we call radical, not cursing. Jesus calls radical, like giving up your life for someone else and giving away your possessions, right? Mm -hmm. Very different versions of radical. But you're absolutely right. Once they head off, I'm trying to put the words together, but essentially it's such a bubble that we can grow up in this like church bubble that's safe and it's clean and it's sterile. And once they hit reality, which at some point they're going to hit, whether whether they hit it in your house or outside your house, they're going to hit reality. Their, their spiritual immune system is so compromised from not having any of that you know, dirt, so to speak before that it's, they're just overloaded and they end up dying you know, like their mm-hmm. spiritual life, it just, it just goes away because they have no idea how to handle, um, just normal things that maybe, maybe they've been sheltered from in the name of Jesus or Christianity or wholesome or family values. And I, th- I feel like we're almost doing more harm than good in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because I, I also see that as a gender thing too, because I was a guy, which made me throw up an extra wall. And I just think there's, there's something with women that they just feel more comfortable. Not that all women have an easy time with it, but they're more comfortable in friendships being open and guys just aren't. And I don't know why we've societally come to that, but it's so funny that I, I, someone described to me once, they said, women define their friendships by how much they know about each other and men define their friendships by how much time they spend together. Like two guys could spend two hours playing a video game together, not even making eye contact and leaves feeling like best friends. And two women could do that exact same thing and be complete strangers. And I think we have to take that into account when we lead people in faith too, because 
men just have this hard time with making friends, having mentors. Men don't want to admit that they're wrong as much. And I'm trying to take more ownership of that in myself by being more out there, putting myself out there, saying when I need help and asking questions. And I think we need to recognize that too. Not to say that women don't need that. They don't need encouragement to do it, but it's just something to recognize when we lead, especially in youth groups and young adults. And even as adults, I'm a 33-year-old guy and I still feel awkward walking up to someone and starting a conversation. And I need to overcome that hurdle in my head because it's, it's so great for your faith to have that kind of community, but it's up to us to build it. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I really liked um, Francis Chan's book multiply because it was just all about discipleship and how it needs to be so active. It doesn't come natural for us to disciple one another or to even think that we need to be discipled or how does, how do you disciple? But I think that is, 100% all part of it is that you have to be so intentional about it and you have to create these environments where you do develop a relationship that is quote unquote abnormal because like you said, I love to go golfing and it's very rare that in those four and a half hours that we talk about something <laughs> super substantial. I think Brian Regan has a joke about that. You know? Yeah, he, he does. I don't know. It didn't come up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. but we, we do have to know those limitations even of how we operate and every person is different, but, and to, to overcome them, to, to get ourselves into that place where we do have a community, we're building a relationship and we're moving forward. And I, I always encourage people because, because of some of the, the hard topics I talk about, especially when it comes to pornography and things like that, where accountability is so important. I've had people message me and say like, hey, will you hold me accountable? And I, I have to, well, I mean, the thing is when they don't have anybody and they're like, here's somebody who cares about it, they want to come to me right away. Yes. And the one thing that I never want to happen is like online friendships cool, whatever, but you need to ha build those important relationships within your own actual in-person community. Like uh, I'm just a stranger on the internet right. and I can't be that for you as much as I could, like, no matter how hard I try, I right. won't be as good as if you tell somebody in your life. And I always encourage people to do that. And because it, it's, it's so it's, it's easier to ask somebody online because you know, you can pull out whenever you want. Like you can say like, well, if I don't like this anymore, I'm gone. Like if you actually do challenge me, but when you have someone who's actually within your circle that you tell, you're going to get way more help that way. Yeah, you're completely right. Um, and I think it just shows like how- So stop messaging me, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a subtle hit and he wasn't- Well, <laughs> that's all the time we have here on the uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it does show um, how desperate people are, you know, and I don't mean that. And I don't mean that like in a negative way, as far as like them being less than it just means like they are so they're so actively seeking help that they, that they don't know who to go to, but someone on the Internet, because yep. in their personal circles, maybe they don't have access to someone like that. Maybe their church culture is more a moralistic church culture than an honest church culture. So you don't know what they're going through. But I think that is telling if people are messaging you saying, Hey, will you be my accountability partner? It's like, listen, yeah. I appreciate the sentiment and, but you need like someone who's in the flesh and blood, who you can meet with consistently and not just someone over messaging. It's not, it's not going to work that way. Well, let me tell you the, the best advice I can give. If anyone struggles with something that's, that's filled with shame, whether it's mental health, pornography, like all those things that have that big, deep Christian shame attached. People always say like, I've tried accountability and it hasn't worked. Here's what, what I always tell them. 
there's one person in your life that you're thinking of right now that you're terrified to tell. It could be your spouse. It could be a brother. It could be a mentor. It could be a pastor. There's somebody that you're terrified to tell. And the reason you're terrified to tell them is because they're actually probably going to help you. And most people are scared of getting help. I know I was like, I, I would say that I wanted help, but I really didn't. I wanted to keep doing it because I liked it. And I would tell people that I knew were kind of in this safe, like, well, we're not that close zone. And the second you tell somebody who you're terrified to tell is the second they start holding you accountable and the second you start growing. And I, I, I wish more people would do that. Like, like people always ask me, how did you get over it? I say, I told the person I was scared to tell who was my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. And it was an awful conversation. Yeah. Like I still, I could tell you where I was sitting and we were there forever talking and crying and embracing. And it took a lot of healing after that, but I got better. And, uh, people, I really think some people just don't want help. They say they do. And the instant you really do want help, you have to go to that person. Excellent. Well, on that note, um, I think we're going to wrap up. I appreciate you having you on, uh, Mike, and uh, it was a really good conversation for sure. So much to talk about. And um, <laughs> I think the good news is that the, I meet a lot of people like this in my circles, both online and in person, who are kind of at the same stage in life. I'm 32. You know, I, I have a son now, I'm a parent. Rob is in the same age bracket. And it's nice to know that there are people who are thinking like this. Like, okay, we have to reimagine the church and how we view this faith because it's just, it's not, there are just parts of it that just are not making sense to me anymore. And the good news is that when the more you dig into the Bible, the more you realize like, oh, like the more I understand this book, the more it actually makes sense mm -hmm. <laughs> on its, on its own terms, not on my terms. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's, it's a lifelong journey for sure, but thanks for coming on. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Thanks so much guys. Absolutely. Right, thank you. Thanks guys for tuning in and we will catch you next time. Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.